Romans chapter 4. Now, today we're going to dive in and, and I'd like us to get to the point where we're fully convinced of some truths, where we're not uh, in the place where we're, you know, flip-flopping and, and wondering whether or not God's going to come through, but that you would be fully convinced of his faithfulness. You'd be fully convinced not only of his faithfulness, but of his ability to carry out his own faithfulness. Because that's the thing. Is uh, One of the questions you need to ask is, is God faithful to his word? But the other question you need to ask is, is he able to keep his word? And both of the answers to those questions are yes. And so we're going to turn to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to see what the Lord says uh, about his own promises, and, and we're going to take a little cue from somebody in the Bible that, that did it right. It says in chapter 4 and verse 1, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. That's a key phrase. It says, Abraham believed God. That was, the, that was the best thing Abraham ever did. As great as Abraham was, his greatest thing was that Abraham believed God. And because he believed God more than he believed in himself, he believed God more than he believed in his friends, he believed God more than he believed what he saw, he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Then it goes on and says, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, he says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? In other words, is it just for the Jews or is it for all of us? Then he says, For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Now, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while he was uncircumcised. Before he ever was circumcised, before he ever had a covenant, he had faith in God. And then it says this, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. Now, I hope we're not getting lost here, but the point is, is he's saying Abraham was the father of us all, whether you're Jewish or not Jewish, Abraham was our father because the, the, the great thing about Abraham was that he was the father of the faith. He was, he believed God. It wasn't just that he was born into the right family. It wasn't just that he had the right religious um, uh, rituals and experiences. The one thing that we hold in common is that Abraham was justified by God, was counted righteous by God, was called a friend by God because he believed God. He says, it's on that basis, that's why, that's why Abraham is our father. He's the father of the Jews and the Gentiles alike, because everybody that's got faith in God can say, Abraham's my ancestor. He, I'm in his line. That's my tribe, those that believe God. Now, let's skip down a few verses here, just for the sake of time. I encourage you to go back and read the whole thing in context at home. 
But it says this in verse 16, For this reason it is by faith, in order that it might be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Background for those of you that don't know and refreshment and review for those of you that do. What he's talking about is Abraham, who spent most of his life with his wife, Sarah, believing that they'd never have children. Sarah, for all of her life, had not been able to have children. Now, in those days, it was like if you couldn't have kids, it was your wife that was barren. We know now that, you know, maybe the wife was barren, maybe the, maybe the man was. We don't know which one. It doesn't really matter. They couldn't have kids. They could not have children. For most of their life, they couldn't have kids. When Abraham is, well, he was Abram at this point. His name was Abram, which means high father. Now, you know, who named him that? Who named him Abram? This is a real easy question. This is a, right down the plate. His dad, right? His dad called him Abram. Okay, you're all thinking it's a trick question. I don't know. He got a nickname. No, this was his, his dad named him High Father. So his dad obviously was not aware that he would have a problem with this name. He just called him High Father, Exalted Father. In other words, you're going to be important in life, son. You're going, to be, you're going to be important. You're going to, you're going to be a father, yes, but you're going to be a leader. You're going, to, you're going to be important. Of course, for most of his life, he wasn't a father at all. He was a leader. He did have his own group of people that traveled with him. He had his own little small army. He had a tribe that followed him, but he was childless. When he's 75 years old, God tells him, you need to go move from here to move there. And, and Abram says, that's all cool and stuff. But you know, Lord, you keep tell, telling me these things. And you keep telling me about my future. But how is that going to be? Who cares if you have an inheritance for me if I don't have a kid? Because to Abram, that's not a big deal for me if you give me this land. If you take me into a promised land. What does it matter if I've got nobody to pass it on to? He says, right now, the only guy in my will is Eliezer, my servant. And that's not good enough for me. God says, don't worry about that. I have something for you. You're going to be the father. And then you're going to be a father of many nations. And then he takes Abram out and he says, look at the stars, Abram. And he goes, okay. He says, can you count them? He says, of course, I can't count them. I can try, but I can't count them. He says, that's as numerous as your descendants will be. Then he says, hey, Abram, look at the sand. Can you count the sand? He says, no, I can't count the sand. I mean, can you count how many grains there are? No, I can't. He says, that's how numerous your descendants will be. So every day, Abram's got something to look at at night. He's got something to look at at the day. He is constantly reminded that my descendants will be as numerous. Now, that's not a literal number. It's not like God was saying, this is how many stars there are. That's exactly how many children you'll have. No, he's saying, can you count them? I can't count them. You're not going to be able to count your descendants either. Can you count the sand? No, I can't count. You're not going to be able to count how many descendants. From you, nations will flow. You think this was, this was thousands and thousands of years ago, and you think how many people have come out of Abraham. How many people have come from that line? Not only that, but we just read the scripture that says Abraham is the father of us all. All who are of the faith, we became part of his family. Through him, through his line, many nations would be blessed. 
Well, when he's 85 years old, he shared this little tidbit of truth with his wife. When he's 85 years old, his wife says, it's not happening. It's not working. You don't have a kid. So he says, she says, take my servant, take my servant girl, take my, um, you know, my helper. She's a young lady. Take her, have a kid with her. Any, any wives in here think this is a great idea and you'd bring this up? No, most of you would not. Different time, different place, right? Having kids was very important at this period of time. It was really important. And so it was so important to Sarah that she said, look, just take, or at this time her name was not Sarah, but Sarai. She says, well, just take, take my servant girl, have a kid. This will be how we do it. Now, I believe a- Abraham is 85 when this happens. I believe God did a miracle in Abraham even then. As an 85-year-old man has a baby. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael is a good kid. He's growing up and he's being raised up. But the Lord again appears to Abram and he says, Abram, Ishmael's not it. I still have a kid for you. And he says, Sarai, she'll have a child. Abraham says, well, that's impossible. And he says, Abraham, or at this point, his name is still Abram. And Abram says to the Lord, oh, that Ishmael could live before you. Oh, that Ishmael could live before you. Couldn't you just accept him? Isn't, it, isn't he good enough? And the Lord says, no, that's not what I have for you. And he says, Sarai will now be called Sarah. Now, Sarai's name meant princess, but Sarah meant princess of many. Abram's name meant high father, but Abraham meant father of many. And he says, you're going to have to start calling yourselves these names. How silly would you feel? Abram's got one kid. He's not even his wife's kid. He's, this, he's, this, he's the servant girl's kid. And he's got one, and he goes around. Can you imagine changing your name like in your old age, changing your name? Does anybody really think that your neighbors and your friends are going to take that really well? Now, if Abram's in charge, everybody's got to pretend that they like it. But I'm sure he's being talked about. He says, okay, hey, hey, guys, don't call me Abram anymore. Call me Abraham. Really? You have one kid, and you want us to call you father of Benny? I mean, he had to put down his pride and just obey God. See, the thing is, a lot of times God will speak to us about our future. God will speak to us. God, will, God makes promises in his word. And we call ourselves what we see. And we say, I'll call myself something different when I see it happen. But the Lord said to Abram, before you see anything happen, you need to start calling yourself what I've called you. The father of many. So he has to go introduce himself again. Hey, Abram, how's it going? I'm not Abram anymore. I'm Abraham. Okay. I'm real suspicious of people that change their name in midlife. Normally. <laughs> now, I know many Bible characters have done this. I know Jesus. But see, it was always God that renamed him. It wasn't them that just decided they are going to go by a different name. You know, God renamed uh, Jacob to Israel. God renamed, Jesus renamed Simon to Peter. You know, um, uh, the list kind of goes on. They never really just decided, hey, why don't you call me this? 
And can you imagine how you'd feel if, if the old man who's, who's kind of leading your group all of a sudden starts calling himself a different name? You're going to say, well, his midlife crisis came a little late. I mean, all, he starts hanging out with a younger woman. He has a kid. I don't know about that. But now, he, a few years later, he's calling himself a different name. He's got that new camel with the stripes down the side. You know, I don't know. I wish he'd just act his age. You got to understand, God sent a couple angels to Abram to hammer this point in, to Abraham. By this point, it was Abraham. Because when God changed his name, he made a covenant with him. And he established a covenant that still stands to this day. And he made a covenant. He says, I'm going to call you Abraham. And he had, Abraham had a visit from a couple of messengers of God. And as these messengers came, they mentioned again, Sarah's going to have a child. Sarah overhears this and she laughs. Later, she denies it. They say, you laughed. And she goes, I didn't laugh. But come on, who are you lying to, right? Like God's like, oh, I must have heard that wrong. Angels must have been, our, our hearing's not as good as you humans. You know, they heard. So interestingly enough, when Isaac comes along, they name him Isaac, which means laughter. So it's kind of an inside joke, you know, <laughs> I laughed and, and turned it around. Instead of laughing in unbelief, I laughed because I was happy. Okay, well, that works. So anyways, Abram's got to face this fact. He's got to call himself Abraham. Sarai, which is princess, what better name could a girl have but princess? Now you got to go around and say, it's sort of the same, but there's an H at the end. Well, doesn't that mean princess of many? Yeah, it does. Well, that's kind of an ironic name to pick for yourself, isn't it? Are you making a little joke, a little jab? Is this what, is this what people are saying to tease you? No. It's what God told me to call myself. Oh, God talks to you. Now, we think that when God talks to Abraham, when God talks to these people, we, we, we picture it being very obvious that it's God, but you know it's only obvious to them. To everybody else, they just probably seem a little nuts. Let's read what it says in Romans chapter 4. He says in verse 17, A father of many nations have I made you. He doesn't say, A father of many nations, I will make you. He says, I have made you. That's an important point. That who he was was already settled before he saw anything, before anything came into being. He already had been made this. I love in Jeremiah chapter 1 when God says to Jeremiah, my words I've put in your mouth. Jeremiah has not spoken one word for God yet. God says, I've already put them in your mouth. I've called you a prophet. I made you a prophet when you were in your mom's womb. He says here, I mean, a father of many nations, have I made you? It's already settled for me. This is who you are. In the presence of him. So Abraham is standing in the presence of God, who he believes in. He believes God, even though it's nuts. Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That is so awesome. Because here's the point. We live in a world where if it exists, it's real. If we don't see it, it's not. Abraham had to make up his mind. I'm standing in the presence of a God that makes something out of nothing. That calls into being. If it does not exist, he can make it exist. And then he says in verse 18, 
In hope against hope, he believed. Now listen to this. So that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Listen to what he says. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations. What does that say to you? The only reason he was able to be what God had called him to be was that he believed it even when it seemed silly to believe it, even when it seemed crazy to believe it. It says he had to believe it so that he might become what God had already called him. Do you hear that? God called him one thing, but he had to believe it so he could become what God had called him. How many people has God called you to something? Will you say, well, if God wants it, it'll happen. Well, you'll have to explain to me how the scripture says that God desires that no one perish, but that all come to eternal life. And yet he says that some, in fact, many will perish because God has given you freedom of will. Now he is sovereign. He reigns over all. He's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. And yet he has given you a degree of dominion in your own life. And if you disobey, he says you can choose life or you can choose death. You can call, you can choose blessing, you can choose cursing. So what God has called you and spoken into your life, you've got to listen and obey. You've got to believe him so that you can become what he's already called you. He called Jeremiah a prophet. But if Jeremiah had said, I won't do it. (laughs) Jeremiah at one point kind of did do that. And he says, oh, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I have to prophesy. But he says he believed in hope against hope. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? Hope against hope. Isn't hope hope? How can you hope against hope? There's the natural hope that you have, which is based on reasonable explanation, expectations. It's based on logic. It's based on what exists. It's based on reason. This is what should happen. This is what could happen. Even my greatest hopes are limited by what can naturally happen. So Sarah and Abram, realistically, before before God gives them a kid, realistically, the best they can hope for is that, you know, okay, let's hope that uh, somebody nice comes into our life and, and we can adopt them. Okay, let's hope that you can have a relationship with my servant and you can have a kid. That's, that's about as much as we can hope. See, our human hope is limited. It, it's only limited to what we can do. But Abraham at one point had to just believe God and have a hope that was based on something much bigger. Come on now. And that natural hope, which is limited by what you naturally can do and what you reasonably can expect within the laws of nature, that reasonable hope came right smack against a divine hope, which trusts in a God that can call things into being that don't exist. You see, you have a hope, you have a natural hope that's based on logic, it's based on reason, and then you have a divine hope that is based on a God which created the laws of the universe and can supersede him if he wants to, can create things that don't even exist. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a theology out there. There's a, there's a teaching out there right now. And I listen to it every now and then just to see what's up. 
And there's a theology there that is based on the concept. And in fact, they'll say it straight out. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what those wackos over there believe. That's us. Here's why I don't believe it. And, and I am, I'm basically quoting you word for word here. They will at, at some point, and I, I just listen to this fresh. Here's the problem with believing what they believe. What happens when it doesn't work? That's the whole basis of their weird theology is what happens if it doesn't work? It's not the scripture says it won't work. It's not God sometimes does and he sometimes doesn't. It's based on the, on the logic of, well, what, what happens when it doesn't? Do you understand the flaw in a theology that starts with saying, what if God is wrong? Now, of course, they never say God was wrong. They say God is sovereign. I believe God is sovereign. I think our definitions are different. You see, I believe in a sovereign God who will never, ever, 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 ever break his word. Because he says, God is not a man that he should lie. In fact... It says in Hebrews, it is impossible for God to lie. The one thing, you know, the angel says, is anything impossible for God? Nothing is impossible for God, Jesus said. But the one thing that the scripture itself says is impossible for God is for him to lie. Here's the good news. He's not trying to. (laughs) It's not something he wants to do. God cannot and will not lie. So when he gives a promise, the scripture says all of God's promises, all of them, every single one of them are yes. And through Jesus Christ, we have our amen. So we can believe his promises. We can hold on to them. We can put all our weight on them and they'll hold. You can't base a theology on what happens when it didn't work. Or what about this person? And they believed and nothing happened. So I'm going to change my theology. Listen, you don't know everything. Somebody died who was believing God to live. I can't tell you why in every situation why they died. Let's just assume it's not because God decided he wasn't going to keep his word. There might be stuff you don't know. You don't know what's going on. And you don't have to blame the person. We don't know. Can we just agree that God is true? You'll have to explain to me how so many people have been healed of things they could not possibly have been healed of. You have to explain how that works to me just just by accident or random chance. It can't work that way. We've seen miracles with our own eyes. Now, if you base your whole theology on the one time you didn't see it happen, when you only see a glimmer, just a glimpse of what's going on, you're going to end up with some pretty messed up views of God. So you've got to hope against hope. Sometimes it is crazy illogical to believe God. Really illogical. It's very difficult I'm sure Jesus would say, it is, it would, it's harder, it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of the needle than for like Spock to enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's really hard for somebody that's bound by logic. And I like logic. I like to think I'm a logical guy, but there are times where you have to say, here's something that's bigger than my logic. There is a God who exists, who created everything that exists who can call things into being that don't exist. That kind of throws everything in the air, doesn't it? Come on. Now, God first speaks to Abram when he's 75. 
He has Isaac when he's 100. He's got 25 years. Now, maybe, maybe Isaac was conceived when he's 99, but even, even 24 years, 24, 25 years. He's got 24, 25 years to say, maybe I'm wrong on how I view God. Maybe I should believe something different. Many of us change our view of God after like three days of praying. I guess it wasn't God's will. Based on what? Based on the fact that it didn't happen. Didn't happen when? Well, I spent five minutes on Monday, seven minutes on Tuesday, and a whole 12 on Wednesday praying, and nothing happened. So I just think that maybe it's not God's will. Why? You know, the scripture says... Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Two words, faith, patience. Have you ever, have you ever heard the word patience applied in a really, really short period of time? Sometimes it does. Sometimes things happen right away. God does it instantly. But you know, he wouldn't have to use the word patience if sometimes you didn't have to keep standing when it seemed silly to keep standing. Through faith and patience, inherit the promises of God. So God's made promises, but the only people that get to inherit them are the ones that will have faith and believe God and have patience that they'll keep believing God even when it seems stupid to believe God. Because it it is going to seem stupid. It's going to seem crazy to your friends. And there are going to be even, oh, I hate to say this, but often there are nice religious people who will pat you on the shoulder and be like Job's friends that will come and tell you why God's not coming through this time. And they will put it in such nice religious language that they will sound holier than you and they will sound like they're paying God a compliment. Like saying to a kid whose dad left them, well, your dad's not paying child support. I know he promised he would. I know the court told him he should. But do you know what? Your dad is so wise that he doesn't have to pay child support. And you know what? He knows you'd be better off without it. Really? But he promised he'd pay it. He told me to my face, I'm going to help you. Yeah, but you know what? Your dad's so good and he's so wise and he's so loving. He probably knows that you don't need that child support. He probably knows that you'd be better off without it. We'd all say, shut up. The guy, the guy needs to stop being a bum. Pay up your child support. We'd all say that, right? Maybe you wouldn't. Some of you are like, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> or at least I wouldn't say it like that. But we'd say, no, that, that's silly. But this is what people do for God. They say, well, God is, God is faithful. God is true. He sometimes lies. Worse than a, worse than a four-year-old, he lies. I don't know, maybe your four-year-olds are very truthful. He doesn't lie. He doesn't break his word. So we have to have faith and patience to inherit the promise. The scripture also says this. It also says, you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance. So that after this time where you're enduring, you will reap a harvest in due season If you don't faint, if you don't quit, if you don't give up. So there is an if there. Do you understand the flip side of that statement? If I give up, I won't reap the harvest. Even though God is faithful and even though he's promised it, I won't get it if I give up early because I just think, well, what's the use? 
Abraham had to hope against hope. He had to believe when it seemed stupid to believe so that he could become what God had already made him to be. Verse 19 says this, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. I want you to hear what happened here. He looked the facts directly in the face. We've talked about this before. A lot of people have a misconception about what faith in God is. Faith in God is not saying there's no, like, like we were talking about there being, you know, David facing Goliath. Faith in God is not going around going, there's no such thing as giants, there's no such thing as giants. And if you say it enough, there won't be giants. Faith in God is that God is bigger than those giants. Yes, come on now. And through him, I can defeat those giants. Yes. And through him, who is that giant to talk to us, the people of God? Yes. Who is that to stop me? I, I'm, I'm, I am a servant of Kai Elohim, the living God. Who's that guy? So here's the deal. Faith does not say the problems don't exist. It says God is bigger than those problems. Here's the catch. If the scripture says you are healed. Now, the scripture said about Abraham, Jesus, sorry, not Jesus. God said to him, you are a father of many nations. I've made you that. Now, he didn't see that. It wasn't visible. But God made him start calling himself that, even when it seemed silly to everybody else. He still had to face the facts of his body. He had to face the facts of of Sarah's body. But what was bigger to him than those facts was the fact that God could make something out of nothing. And God can call life where things are dead. So, you know, this comes into play when, you know, somebody, you know, might break their arm. You break your arm. Scripture says that by his stripes you were healed. Um, you know, the, the scripture says that, that uh, he's already paid that price and that, that if, any, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. They'll anoint him with oil. They'll lay hands on the sick. And the prayer of faith will raise the one that is sick up. That's what the Bible says. So you can go around and say, you know what? I'm healed in Jesus' name. What's going on with your arm? Well, I'm healed in Jesus' name. You don't go around saying, I didn't break my arm. Because you know what? You're just lying at that point. I didn't break my arm. I never broke my arm. And you think that's faith. I didn't break my arm. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't break my arm. You did break your arm. In fact, it's broken right now. But a bigger truth than that is that you have a healing God. So you can say, I broke my arm, but I'm healed in Jesus' name. And you're, you're both right. In fact, the bigger truth is that, is that God is who he, he said he is, and you are who he said he is, said you are. So you know what? You're healed in Jesus' name. So Abraham doesn't say, I got lots of kids running around. <laughs> They're all over that place. Haven't you seen them? They're in the tents. You know, he didn't have to say that. But he says, I am a father of many nations, and my descendants will be great on the earth. Look what he says. It says, he did not grow in verse 19, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. This is the step where we often win or lose when you face the facts. And faith is not about avoiding the facts. 
It's not about pretending they're not there. And if you pretend hard enough and you clench your jaw and you close your eyes, maybe they won't be there anymore. Faith is not saying the facts aren't there, the problems aren't there, the issues aren't there. Faith acknowledges those things. He acknowledged his own body was insufficient. He acknowledged the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God. So what's that saying? Instead of letting that be the thing that he focused on, he focused on the promises of God. It says, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is what's so wonderful. 25 years from promise number one to fulfillment of that promise. 25 years. Most of us would think that he would have gotten weaker the more time went on. It says he grew stronger. That's amazing. And that's what we can do as well. When you become convinced, more convinced that God is true than what you see in front of you. More convinced that his word doesn't lie than what you see in front of you. More convinced of what he said than what you feel. You can face the facts of what's in front of you and say, I know it's, that's what's going on, but I know a God that's bigger than that stuff. See, I know the mountains there, but I know a God that can move mountains. I know the giants there, but I know a God that's bigger than the giants. I know that this might be going on right now, but I know a God that is bigger. And I choose to, to respect and put my focus on the promises of God. And he says this, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured. The King James says, fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, this is what I want to get to in every area that the Lord has spoken. I want to get to the place of being fully persuaded, fully assured, not, not, no, no wavering in unbelief, no bit of maybe it won't happen. I want to be so fully persuaded that he's true and that he's right and that he doesn't lie. I want to be so convinced that I can say, here's what I'm convinced about. God has promised and he's faithful. He doesn't break his word. That's the number one thing I'm convinced of. He's faithful to his word. And the second thing I'm convinced of is he's able to perform his word. Now, if those two things are settled in you, then everything else falls into place. If I can settle, is God faithful or does he lie? He's faithful. If I can settle, well, can he keep his word? Yes, he can. He's able to perform it. It says, because of this, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, in the context of this scripture, he speaks of our righteousness being from God. He speaks of the fact that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're justified. So the number one thing that we've got to believe God in is that, yes, his sacrifice was enough for us. Yes, his death was enough to pay the penalty, and his resurrection was enough to give us life. Yes, it was enough. Yes, I am who he's called me to be, even if I don't feel like it. I am a new creation in Christ. I am who he made me to be. 
You've also got to believe every promise in the Word of God. Now, not every promise given to some random guy in the Old Testament is necessarily for you, right? If God promises Josh a new tractor, I don't go, I claim that. I don't know what I'm going to do with a tractor, but I claim it. God told Josh, I'm going to give you a new tractor. But there are several promises in the scripture which are applied to all of us. Several. More than you can count on your fingers. And if you add your toes, you still don't have enough. On top of that, there are things that God has spoken to you personally. Now, I realize that that's got to be tested. It's got to be confirmed through different ways. I know we can't just say, I kind of feel like God's promised to give me that A&W over there. Now, you might call me crazy, but I've changed my name to Jonathan A&W Owner. (laughs) Well, kind of feeling it's not, not really what we're looking for. But nevertheless, there are times where you've got to be convinced it's, this is what God has promised us. I know my parents, you know, the Lord had promised them two children. They knew they were going to have two kids. They picked out their names as a boy and a girl. So when they tell my mom she can't have kids, she believes she can. When the, when the, the first child is dying, as she, you know, is, is, being, is deprived of oxygen, they say he's going to be brain dead. You decide if that's what happened or not. I don't know. <laughs> I might just be really high functioning. (laughs) But uh, I lived, thank God. I lived and I can can count all the way. Okay, anyways. (laughs) No. My sister, you know, when the doctors tell my mom that the baby's dead on the inside of you, you, she's, she's dead. It's not, she's going to die, she's dead. My mom just keeps speaking life to that baby, speak life to that baby, that life to that baby. And the baby starts to kick, and the baby starts to live. And, and, and uh, my sister is doing very well, living in Philadelphia to, right now, and, and uh, no signs of any problem at all. You've got to believe what God says above what everybody else says. Rather than saying, well, it must have been God's will that my baby die. It must have been God's will that both my babies died. It must, must not be God's will for us to have a kid. Can you instead believe what the Lord has said? Yes. Now, maybe, you know what? I'm all for adoption. I'm all for that. I think that's a beautiful and a wonderful thing. I think that's a huge deal. But you know what? Don't just do it because you gave up on everything else. Do it because the Lord told you. Yes. The Lord told you I, want you, to, I want your kids to all be adopted. I want you to take in kids that need a home. Well, do it because the Lord told you. Don't just do it because he gave up on other stuff. You can know the will of God by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. Amen? So here, we're getting to the place where we're going to become more and more fully persuaded. And I want us to get to the place where we're so focused on God's faithfulness and on his ability that we believe it more the more time goes on and not less the more time goes on. See, the pressure on you will be to change what you believe based on how long it's been and how long you've had to stand and how long it seems like it hasn't happened. It's time to cut your losses and just, just go ahead and say, I think I was wrong. That's the pressure on you. It's not just pressure from the world. It's pressure from often Christians themselves. Mm-hmm. What you must say 
is God is faithful and God is able. Those are bigger to me than what you say. They're bigger than me what I see. I, I see my body. I notice that. I've, I've paid attention to the fact that Sarah hasn't been able to have kids, much less she's never been able to have kids when she was 20. She's certainly not able to have kids when she's in her 90s. And yet, I have more respect and more attention placed on the promise of God than I do on those facts because those are facts and I don't deny them, but there's a bigger fact out there. I serve a God who creates things that don't exist. Do you get that? He creates things that aren't even there. That kind of spoils the whole thing. That's the, that's the wild card thrown into the bunch. No matter what, what facts are in front of me, I serve a God who creates things that don't exist. Calls life into things that are dead. So, you know, facts are facts. But God is God. And I will be fully persuaded. And I will grow stronger. The more I wait, the stronger I'll be in faith. And it might be, it might be that Isaac came at the right time. It might also be that Abraham had to become fully persuaded in order that Isaac could come. But either way, Isaac came. I want to make one final point. How many times have we said, oh, that Ishmael might live before you? How many times have we given up on God, done something on our own because we were in a hurry to get it done, still thinking we're doing it because God told us to? But you know, God told me to, so I take the first opportunity that comes by. It wasn't how he said it was going to happen. It wasn't the way I think he wanted me. But you know what? Let's get it done. It's the only way it's going to work. You might have done this in business. You might have done this in so many areas. You might have, some, some of you young folks right now, you might be tempted to do this in a relationship. This is what you believe. This is the kind of person you're waiting for. God's got somebody for me. But you know what? It hasn't happened. I'll settle for this person. They're a nice guy. Said to one of my friends one time, she said, he's a nice guy. I said, every guy is a nice guy when he wants to go out with you. What guy is not a nice guy? That's kind of like the basic thing. There's nobody that's not a nice guy. Does he love Jesus? Will he love you? Is he the kind of guy you could spend the rest of your life with? So here's the deal. A lot of times we settle. You settle in business. You settle in relationships. You settle in all these things. And you say, and I'm not talking about settling. Because I'm, not, I'm not talking about settling for second best because you didn't marry a millionaire. I'm talking about not settle, uh, settling for something that wasn't God's will for you. And you know you're compromising it. Yes. But you know God told me and it hasn't seemed to happen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something on my own. And then we hold it up to God and we say, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Oh, God, will you not just accept that this is good enough? Now, you marry somebody, they're good enough. Thank God. <laughs> I find it ridiculous. Can I just say ridiculous? When somebody comes along and says, I married the wrong person, but then, then God brought me my soulmate, and I know this person now, and so, so you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I, I, I'm going to divorce this person. I'm going to marry this person because, you know what? I married the wrong person. I want to get in God's perfect will. Phooey, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. You married him. Now, I realize some of you have been, you know, on the other side of a relationship, and God's worked with you. God took you from where you are. But I'm saying, if you're married right now, that's the right person for you. 
That's God's perfect person for you. You made a covenant, and even if it was the wrong person at the wrong time, it's the right person now, and God can heal this, and God can make it work. Nevertheless, don't just hold up your, what you did and try to make things work and say, God, couldn't Ishmael work? You know, I know you told me you wanted me to do this, but this is kind of a compromise. You didn't seem to be coming through, so I'm going to do this. Won't this work? Oh, that Ishmael might stand before you. Thousands of years later, to this day, right now, Jerusalem is under siege because of that decision. Now, God blessed Ishmael. God blessed those people. So we're not going to curse them after God blesses them. Because the Bible says, who, what God has blessed, you bless. Nevertheless, how many times do we cause ourselves endless amounts of trouble by choosing Ishmael when we should have held out for Isaac? When we should have believed God. God can do a miracle in me. He can do a miracle in my wife. God can do this. God can do this. But you got to become fully persuaded. You got to become fully persuaded. You got to get rid of the unbelief because Abraham did not even waver in unbelief. Get rid of the unbelief. Get rid of the doubts. Get rid of the multiple choice. And I know people might have taught you that you give God several choices and he picks one. But the scripture says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Right before that verse, it says, don't let that guy think he will receive anything from God. Because he says, if you doubt in your heart and you think it might not work, he says, don't let that guy think he's going to receive anything from God for he's double-minded and he's unstable in all his ways. Don't be double-minded. Don't think you're doing God a favor by giving him a choice whether he's going to keep his word or not. He's already gave his word. He'll keep it. You're the one that needs to become fully persuaded. His promises are yes, it's about time that you add your amen to it. Yeah, amen? amen? Are we fully persuaded? Yeah. If not, are we going to get fully persuaded? Yeah. Yes, let's stand up today. Thank God. He is who he says he is. You are who he says you are. We're dealing with impossible stuff here. That's why you have to hope against hope. If this was possible, there would be no hope against hope. There'd just be, you know... Basic hope. We're dealing with impossible things. Many of you right now are facing impossible things. You're not the one who decides the outcome. You're not the one who picks this is what should happen. But you must believe God. And you must believe his promises. And you must believe his word. And you must believe that he is faithful to keep his word. He's not a liar. He's not schizophrenic. He's not shaky or shady. And you must also believe that if he's faithful to keep it, he's able to keep it. If it takes you 25 years, stand for 25 years and be stronger at the end than you were at the beginning. If it takes you five minutes, stand for those five minutes. Lord, we thank you you are who you said you are. You're always faithful. You're always true. You are not a liar. You are not unreliable. You're not unknowable, undiscernible. You have given us your spirit and you said the things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard things that have not even entered into the heart of men, the things that you've prepared for those that love you. 
You said that there's no way anyone could know that except by your spirit. Because you said it was your spirit that knows even the hearts, even the depths of God. And you've given us that spirit. You said it was that spirit that you gave us that we might know the things freely given to us by God. So we hold tight. We hold on fast. We're holding on for everything we got. We believe in a God who does impossible things. Using people that are flawed. Using people that are not perfect. Using people that have made mistakes. Not just mistakes, but have blatantly disobeyed. And yet you still... You still, you said, when we are faithless and we break our end of the deal, you remain faithful and you keep your end of the deal. We thank you that you are a God of mercy. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, etc. chances. We thank you, Lord, that you have never broken your word, not once. And I pray for those that have been disappointed. Those that have been disappointed by what they thought should have happened that didn't happen. God, I know that some of us have answers for those things. And sometimes we have no clue why it didn't happen. But one thing we know, you've never broken your word. You've never lied. You've never let us down. So Lord, if we've ever been disappointed... Renew and refresh our hearts. Heal the wounds. Bind up the wounds. Heal the broken hearts. Restore belief again. Restore faith again. For more than disappointments, we've seen miracles with our own eyes. We've seen the impossible become possible. We've seen your hand move. And we will not forget any of your benefits. We will not forget what you've done. We will not Waver in unbelief. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Today, the broader context of Romans 4 was speaking of salvation through Jesus. Was speaking of your righteousness being fully in him and not of your own self. That your righteousness must be based in who he is. In other words, whether or not God sees you as right before him, whether he sees you as guilty or not guilty, depends completely upon Jesus. Not depending on whether Jesus will accept you or will he not. For he says, all that come to me, I'll receive. I'll be lifted up and I will draw all men unto myself. So he says, if any would call on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. No matter who you are or how impossible it seems that God would ever accept you, he has. If you would call on him, if you would believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you would confess with your mouth and mean it that he is Lord, you will be saved. You make Jesus the Lord of your life. You put your faith in him. He will keep you. Is there anybody here this morning that's never received Jesus, but you'd like to? If that's you, just raise your hand, and we'll give you an opportunity to invite him in and make him Lord. Because he truly is the only way, the only truth, the only life. For all believers today, 
Now, if any of you were afraid to lift your hand and you want to catch somebody at the end of the service, there's lots of people that can lead you into Jesus. Don't leave the room. Don't leave the building without praying. Don't leave the building without inviting Jesus and making him the Lord of your life. But now, if there's any here, we talked about that big picture stuff, but we also talked about Abraham and his body. That miracle having to take place in his body, the miracle having to take place in his wife's body. So if there's anyone here that needs a miracle in your body, we believe in a God who does miracles. And we're going to pray with you. And we're going to believe God with you that what's impossible is possible to God. Amen? So if that's you, come on up. We're going to pray. In fact, Sister Brownie, I shared your testimony today. I wonder if you'd be willing to lay hands on some of these. I think there's some miracles going to take place in your body. Now, this is for everything. This is for anything that you've been facing. God can do it. But it's also appropriate if there's anybody in the room, any of you men or women who have not been able to have children, and you believe that God wants you to have a child, now, thank God for adoption. If God leads you that way, then praise the Lord. But also, if you believe that you want to have a child from your own body. I know that Sister Brownie's laid hands on many women in her life that have been barren and gave birth in a very short period of time. That's what God can do. So feel free to come up if that's you as well. We wouldn't know what you came up for, so don't worry. <laughs> wouldn't know if your toe was hurting or if you needed to have a baby. We wouldn't know. But God knows. So Lord, as we get ready, you said to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You said as hands are laid on the sick, the prayer of faith will raise the one that is sick and restore them to health. We thank you that your word is always true. We believe that today something's changing. Today something's happening. And I believe that there will be those today that in an instant they will experience the miraculous power of God. There will be those, there might be those that, ha, that, that have to that say, I don't feel it, but I know it's changed. And stand in faith and see that miracle work in their body. But either way, we know you are the God. That today, something's changing. Today, something's different. In Jesus' name. Jonathan, I want, I just felt like I, before, before he called people up, I believe the Lord was saying that, that uh, we, not just the ones up here, because they're up here for healing, but we should repent of the sin of uh, not believing, unbelief, uh, of giving up before the time, of compromising when we, we couldn't wait. And we've all done it. Maybe we were believing God for something something and and it didn't come the way we thought it would so we went out and took a loan out and got it anyway or maybe maybe we we were believing God to give us an answer at a certain time and we didn't get the answer so we thought God failed us you know if you have if you have that in you it will stop 
the miracles from coming out of you, right? Because you've you've said, like Pastor said, you've just said, I'm I'm going to help God out a little bit. That's what that's what Abraham Abraham did, didn't he? He he and Sarah kind of helped God out, and they had the Ishmael. But you always remember, you got to raise your Ishmaels. Remember, they sent they sent Ishmael and his mother out into the desert, and God said, you have to. You have to have him. You bring him back. Take care of him. So our, some of us are raising Ishmael's right now, but God will grant us grace to do that. Amen. But the better thing is not to have the Ishmael. So I'm just going to lead us all, the church together. The scripture talks about not grow weary, weary in well-doing. For in due season, there's a due season. And the due season might not be when you think the due season is. But in due season, you shall reap what? If you don't faint. So many times, we don't wait for our due season. So we faint and we don't reap. There's reasons. But here's the thing. God gives us gives an opportunity to turn it around. This morning, we can turn it around. You're not bound by that forever. Aren't you glad? <laughs> we'll all be in such trouble. We're not bound by our wrong decisions, by our unbelief. We're not bound because in a moment, we can turn it around and say, Thank you, Jesus. The price is paid. I receive everything that you have done. I receive it right now. Whether it's in my body, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in any part of my life or anything that affects me, thank you that today's a day of turnaround. Today's a day of breakthrough. Because if you can break through your doubt and unbelief, then your promises are yes and amen. Amen. So let's just as a body do that right now. And let, you just, you're just going to have to say it in your own, own uh, words to the Lord. But I believe by the Holy Spirit, it's really important that we handle this and not pretend, well, everything's okay. I can promise you that probably at least 90% of the people in here have wavered in unbelief. But here's the thing. We choose today to move back into belief. We might have wavered, but you can get steady again. Father, we thank you right now. That We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. Lord, forgive me for wavering in unbelief. Forgive me when I grew weary in well-doing. Forgive me when I tried to do it my way and ask you to bless it. Forgive me, Lord. Today, I turn that to you. I release it. And I trust you that you have only good for me. That your word says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So we receive it now in Jesus' name. We are forgiven. We are free. And we are standing in faith. In Jesus' name.